Weirdo Bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Hi, genre junkies. It's Sandra. And this is Scott. And, oh my god, it's hot. It is freaking hot. This episode is... <laughs> This is going to be a super short episode of John or Junkies. We read a book. It was good. Good night, everybody. Bye. <laughs> I have to turn off my fan for recording. And basically, like, my fan is like my lifeline. So I'm a horrible grump. I'm a horrible grump now. Um, How's it going? I'm, I'm, I'm doing great other than the heat. How about you? Other than the heat, I cannot complain. Oh, I am like, I, you know, God, don't you just love summer? It's hot. Something um, bit me. Something stung me. Um, feel, is it Halloween yet? <laughs> oh, anyway, this is a really, really fun episode tonight. Uh, despite um, my, my grumpy, horrid attitude, it is actually a fun episode tonight. We have a great interview with the author riley sager welcome back to the show Yay! we absolutely adore riley he's an amazing human and we love his books and this one is well i'm gonna assume no exception home before dark uh but i guess we'll get into it whether how we felt about it all right. So let me tell you a little bit about the book. So we're going to, of course, discuss the book. We're going to have our interview with Riley. That's going to be all spoiler free. And then we're going to have a spoiler section and a spoiler wrap up part of the interview, right? Yes. And we may have a couple little spoiler specials with Riley during the spoiler section. Yeah. So I mean, definitely tune back in for that. But we'll we'll warn you before the interview gets spoily. But once again, we want to just thank Riley for taking some time out of his busy, busy schedule during this absolutely insane time uh, in human history. All right, everybody, let's talk about Home Before Dark. In the latest thriller from New York Times bestseller, Riley Sager, a woman returns to the house made famous by her father's best-selling horror memoir. Is the place really haunted by evil forces, as her father claimed? Or are there more earthbound and dangerous secrets hidden within its walls? What was it like living in that house? Maggie Holt is used to such questions. 25 years ago, she and her parents, Ewan and Jess, moved into Bainbury Hall, a rambling Victorian estate in the Vermont woods. They spent three weeks there before fleeing in the dead of night, an ordeal Ewan later recounted in his nonfiction book called House of Horrors. His tale of ghostly happenings and encounters with malevolent spirits became a worldwide phenomena, rivaling the Amityville horror in popularity and skepticism. Today, Maggie is a restorer of old homes and too young to remember any of the events mentioned in her father's book. But she also doesn't believe a word of it. Ghosts, after all, don't exist. When Maggie inherits Bainbury Hall after her father's death, she returns to renovate the place to prepare it for sale. But her homecoming is anything but warm. People from the past, chronicled in House of Horrors, lurk in the shadows. And locals aren't thrilled that their small town has been made famous thanks to Maggie's father. Even more unnerving is Bainbury Hall itself, a place filled with relics from another era that hint at a history of dark deeds. As Maggie experiences strange occurrence straight out of her father's book, she starts to believe that what he wrote was more fact than fiction. So right away, we have a book within a book. 
Uh, we've got a, a real nonfiction that doesn't actually exist book as well as present day experiences based on it. It's it's very Inception-like and it's a lot of fun, it, th- yeah. that, that, that idea. It's a dual timeline kind of story uh, where like we have a chapter that's um, present day following Maggie uh, dealing with the estate and then we have every other chapter is from her father's book and it's like in bold typeface and you can like see like, oh, okay, so we're switching back and forth. And it unravels really, really beautifully. Um, I have to say, I guess I'm just going to jump straight into my experience score. Yeah? yeah. This to me was an absolute page turner of a book. Uh, fantastic. Sometimes in dual perspective, you know, you kind of like one perspective more than the other. And for me, this was very equally weighted. I was really, really loving her dad's book. And I was sad to see those chapters end. But I was always really happy to pick back up with Maggie and try to figure out what is going on. Uh, Because it's interesting that in that dual timeline, yeah, it's a little bit of a mystery to us, the reader. But at the same time, we kind of know where his story's going, but we don't know where hers is going. And for me, it just made like that page turner magic. I agree. This was absolutely a page turner. I had to know what was coming up next. I had to know where Riley Sager was going with this, because uh, if you've read Riley before, his books sometimes have a a little bit of a twist of things are not always what they seem. Let's put it that way. And I didn't know where this was going because you never really do with him. And I, I was really excited to read through. I want to I want to use that page turner and, and talk about the 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 conceit that this book has where it goes back and forth between the book from the 80s 90s um no yeah her father's book yeah her her father's book and her experience in the present time i thought that was a really fun conceit i also felt like i could have read the i could have read her father's book start to finish and then read hers and it still would have been good Mm-hmm. which 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 is smart because both of them kind of stand on their own. Yeah, there was um there was a lot of like kind of kismet energy going on for me while we were um reading this book and I I I will I will elaborate on that. <laughs> um first of all, I want to say that Riley is truly genre defining. Um you really have a hard time putting his books into any sort of box in my opinion. Uh but I will say they're always thrilling, truly thrilling. Truly exciting, mysterious little love letters uh for a reader to unravel. And he's not exactly a horror author, but he is a horror fan and he knows how to write thrilling content. I agree wholeheartedly. He, you know, thrillers can take can take the form of murder mysteries all the way to, you know, a horror inspired and that's where he lives. That's where he seems to thrive. Yeah, no, it's definitely his world. And this the niche and the way he writes books and the conceit of his books is very uniquely his own voice and it's always like so pleasant to revisit his works. So um, I had mentioned there was kind of like a kismet thing going on. So for The Cold Show, that's the one of the other shows I do, Spooky Slumber Party and The Cold Show, that's the one where um, we do 
especially cult horror. For our 4th of July extravaganza, we did something called Red, White, and Boo, (laughs) where it was just American ghost story movies, and then talking a little bit about the alleged true details of what inspired them. And so we talked about Amityville, which is, you know, kind of even referenced in the, the, uh, description of the book and some other stories like the parents from the conjuring and the snedeckers from haunting in connecticut um and uh oh, we also did an american haunting too <laughs> which is based on true events the bell witch the bell family and in some of these cases some of the people that lived through it especially the kids are grown-ups now you know because these took place in the uh 70s or 80s and it's just really interesting to think about what are those survivors of these tales doing now? How do they look back upon the events that transpired? Um, You know, are they like embarrassed? Are they proud? You know, it's like a wide range of people that come out of these phenomena. And and I thought that was really cool that we got to have a leading lady that that was that. There's an idea that the that you know, when you're talking about a haunting, you're always talking about the most uh, extreme voice in the description of it. Mm-hmm. And so it makes you really kind of think about the other people who were involved. And even if they believe it, even if they they agree with what happened, their views of what happened may not be as extreme as the person you're hearing from. And we touch on this a tiny bit in the interview with Riley, where we talk about, you know, kind of domestic themes in horror and how that's, you know, um, been really having a moment for a couple of years now. And I I hope it continues to because I really like exploring those themes of family and family secrets and family history and the dynamics of a family in a scary situation. And um, if you're kind of into that as well you know maybe some hereditary vibes the lodge you know different things a haunting of the haunting of hill house of course um i think you'll really dig this so let's get into our appeal scores um Okay, so this one is a little tricky, (laughs) but I'm somewhere between a broad or a mass appeal score for my own appeal uh, reading, genre junkies, patent pending (laughs) scoring system. Uh, I definitely think that there's lots of different types of readers that would be super, super interested in this. And we've had people read Riley's books that are not typical genre junkie, you know, kind of like in our cool genre junkie club that we're like, oh, but I think you're going to like this. So that makes me lean towards mass. But at the same time, I feel like there's people in that world of like, like I mentioned, talking about horror, talking about Amityville, talking about all of that, that this is just so perfect for them. It's a little bit tricky. You kind of get what I'm saying. I'm kind of, I'm almost even straddling between mass and like niche. It's so, it's so <laughs> crazy. But um, I, I really just think a huge swath of readers would enjoy this work. I have to. I'm going to put this into the broad category, and I, uh, I, I'm, I sit very firmly in that. I think that a lot of people will like this book. People who are even not traditionally into reading much horror, but you know, are familiar with, uh, you know, the history of horror. Uh, 
you know, there's a lot of people who don't really watch horror, who or read horror for that matter, who have seen Adam, who who has seen Amityville horror. They saw it when they were kids. They, oh yeah, they've seen that. They've seen the the Conjuring. They've seen these kind of uh, these depiction movies. And I think you know, having a general knowledge of of what those are about is really all that you need to enjoy this. I think you know those who just avoid all horror like the absolute plague. Yeah, this is not going to 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 draw them in. But I think very much this is for a very broad audience. Yeah. Well. I'm glad that we agree and that we both really enjoyed this book. But you know what? I think we should turn it over to our special guest, Riley Sager, to take it from here. And we'll see everybody after this. Well, actually, we'll see everybody after the first part of the interview in the spoiler section. Enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. All right. Welcome back to the show. Riley Sager, author of Home Before Dark. Welcome back. Hi there. Thank you for having me again. Yes, we are thrilled to have you back. We absolutely love talking to you and your work is so, so much fun. And um, you are our type of person, the horror Disney hybrid, the the rare breed. There's, It's such a, like people don't think those two things are compatible, but I think they're very compatible and I can't explain why. Yes. But there seem to be quite a few of us out there who love like, you know, both Scream and Frozen. <laughs> That's like you, you don't need to like choose. You can love them both. Absolutely. I don't know. I feel like we're leading some sort of a revolution for, for more of us to come forth. <laughs> yes. Come come out. It's fine. We all you can you can like Freddie and Jason and Elsa. <laughs> we are weird and we accept you. <laughs> Well, so anyway, this is very exciting that you're joining us because you are promoting, as Scott said, your new book, Home Before Dark. And we aren't going to try to keep this interview spoiler free if we possibly can so that um, people have a little bit of a teaser before they, you know, if they haven't quite finished the book yet. Yes, please. Okay. So I I wanted to kick it off because something that was really, really on my mind during this and the last novel, in a lot of your books, the building or the home is a character. Can you tell us how architecture inspires your work? I think it starts from the fact that I grew up in the most boring house on the planet. (laughs) Like, it's just no offense to my parents and the house they still live in. But it it just was, you know, it's it it was a ranch house with white siding and really nothing interesting about it. Mm. And so as a kid, I just wanted stairs. You know, like it like having a second floor was like this big, oh my gosh, a second floor, how cool. Exotic. So it really was. So I think a lot of this obsession with like architecture and real estate stems from that I just grew up in this boring white box. And all my life longed for something more than that. So I, I love old buildings. I love old houses. I love the history behind these places. And I think that definitely comes out sometimes in the things I write about. That's cool. Was that was that ranch house haunted? It was not. Aww. There were some mice in the attic, though, that I would hear at night, <laughs> scritching around over my bed. 
Ooh, that's a little creepy. They really can sound like footsteps sometimes. They're scary. It was it was something like that I didn't think was weird at the time because when you're a kid you don't know what's weird like this is your world mm-hmm. and so I didn't realize it till later in life like hey maybe it was weird to go to sleep listening to like the little pitter patter of mice feet over your head. <laughs> Are you like um like an HGTV person as well? Our lead character in this book is a renovation re- renovationist. I don't know what you would say exactly. She does homes. <laughs> she flips. Yeah, homes. she's. She flips homes. Um, it, it really was part of that because like I came up with the idea for the book and in completely like coincidental timing, as I was writing the book, my husband and I decided this is the right time to buy a house. Oh. So we were I was we were house hunting and bought a house and you know, did all the the pain in the neck paperwork and the closing stuff and then the renovation and the painting and all of that was going on as I was writing this book. And so there was a ton of HGTV on my, like it was, it was all we watched. And so when I had to come up with this character, like who would be good to come back to this allegedly haunted house that she grew up in? I'm like a, a house flipper, yeah. you know, and I would, I'd watch HGTV and see these, you know, tough gals with their, their tool belts and their sledgehammers and be like, yes. That is who I want in my book. Yeah, she was. She's a cool leading lady too. I think that's perfect. Yeah, we bought our um our first house about a gosh, just right after we talked to you last. And it is like a madness does kind of overtake you when you're like you start to absorb those HGTV things and something I was never into at all. No, and so friends of ours, like when they would buy a house, that's all they would talk about is their house. And we're like, oh, how boring. All you're talking about is your stupid house. And then we bought a house and it was like our sole focus. Like that was all we felt like we ate, slept, drank like the house. <laughs> and all we could talk about was the house. And I'm sure like people we knew were like, quit talking about your house. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Us too. We, you become that which you most hate. <laughs> When it you becomes do that. so boring, so so boring. <laughs> Except to other people who like have a house, yeah. And then like you can speak a whole new language. Yes. Oh my gosh, homeowning. Am I right? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's so true. There's though. been so much of that. Yeah. Speaking of homes, how is the haunted mansion office these days? It is quite lovely. I'm in it right now. Um, I am you know looking at my haunted mansion poster on the wall, and I've got um. They have these amazing um, ghost jars. Oh, that, yeah. So I got three of the ghost jars, the hitchhiking ghost. And when I press them, they play different sounds. Sometimes it's the, the Haunted Mansion music and sometimes it's um, Madame Leota. So it's, yeah. There was a lot of pressing those as I was writing the book. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we, we kind of answered the question, but I was also kind of hoping in my heart that in a way, this book was kind of a homage to the Haunted Mansion. It it really wasn't. Oh. And because like I, I consider like the Haunted Mansion like this whole sacred, untouchable space. Like I didn't want to do, you know, ghost dancing in the ballroom or anything like that. Like I really... <laughs> I, my my goal was to let's take the Amityville horror, tell it in a new way, and sort of flip it on its side and deconstruct it. So mm-hmm. it, it really started with the Amityville horror, and even then, like I didn't want to do you know a house in Long Island in the suburbs or something like that. I just wanted you know spooky Victorian mansion on top of hill. <laughs> 
Well, I think you definitely succeeded. You created a really lovely mythos for this house too. It's fun when it's, uh, it's, let's see, without saying too much, it's a generational spookiness that occurs here. And uh, that's really fun. Yeah, it was really fun to sort of think about, okay, what could have gone on in this house? Allegedly. Right. What could go on in here and you know make it really, really creepy? And that was the fun part of writing this book is because it is two books in one. It's Maggie returning to her house and it's the book her father wrote. And so in that one half of the book that her father wrote, I got to pack in all the fun, spooky things you expect from a haunted house story. Yeah. And then Maggie's half is sort of peeling back the curtain of that haunted house story and seeing the truth. Right. I wanted to ask about the way that you wrote that because you said it perfectly. It is basically two books. Did they, did you kind of write them at the same time or, or how did you go about that process? My original plan was to write her father's book first, like do a classic haunted house story. And then based on that sort of craft Maggie's story, but very early on, I knew that they were so interconnected to a degree that's like insane that I even attempted it, to be honest. Um, like, you know, there's scenes where in her father's book, you know, there's the 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 creepy wardrobe that Ghost may or may not come out of. And oh. so it ends with him seeing the wardrobe open. And so Maggie's chapter is her and the wardrobe is shut and it's, you know, boarded closed so like there's just all these types of things going on in the book oh yeah that was really cool some of those were just i mean just so seamless that was really neat and i will say as i as i kind of mentioned before it's definitely its own mythology and its own story but um i got you know great amityville and house on haunted hill vibes what were some other kind of inspirations since since you are often inspired by movies and other tales it was it was very much first and foremost the Amityville horror in spirit, no 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 pun intended truly, <laughs> uh, but and then just to try to think of like different sort of haunted house stories of the past and what bits and pieces could I bring to this one and so you know one of my favorite books is the Haunting of Hill House and the original movie version the Haunting yes <laughs> um I just I wanted you know tapping in the hallway because that's such an iconic scene in the haunting you know the pounding on the wall in yes. the hallway that stops at that door and so i tried to replicate that in its own you know a different way but just very similar vein um family dynamics i borrowed a bit from the shining and if it, it if it seems too homage heavy you have to stop and think that this was a book her father wrote that may or may not be true that came after all of these other things. So they definitely influenced his writing style as well. Oh, certainly. Oh, yeah. No, that's a, that, and that is kind of cool because I think people who are, you know, um, kind of ghost story fans would, would see that and would believe that because that does happen. Yeah, it was a very tricky balance. I, I wanted his book and I painted myself into a corner because I made this book be, you know, this worldwide phenomenon. And so then when it came time to write, it's like, how does one write a worldwide phenomenon? Like, is that yeah. easy? No, it is not easy. <laughs> so it, it became like, I really wanted it to be derivative, like on purpose, but also 
original enough with certain scenes that would be haunting enough, again, not to use a pun, <laughs> to like sort of create like this cultural phenomenon that it became. And that's um, such a cool thing that in our leading lady, we have somebody that's kind of, you know, baby Jessica d- d- in the well. I mean, she's, you know, wasn't obviously murdered horribly as a child, but like John Benet Ramsey, something that like people feel like, oh, I, I know this kid. And what an interesting idea for her as a grown, successful adult to like, where is she and how does she fit into this narrative? Yeah, that was that was very fascinating to me to explore because she is she's she's her own person. She's her own woman. And yet people meet her and they instantly see the five year old from this book that they read when they were a teenager. Mm. And how does that really annoy you <laughs> over time? <laughs> and how do you want to like get out of the shadow of this book? And then there's also some anger because Maggie thinks that her parents made this whole thing up and it's affected her entire life and they won't even give her the truth. I have to say it's a cool um, trend in recent years. And, and I love that your book is a little bit of a part of it, of where we're seeing a lot of domestic, um, I don't know, dynamics in horror and in, you know, kind of scary situations. It creates um, a really cool dimension, you know, a hereditary or, you know, different things like that, where it's like the family dynamic is important to this creepy story. Oh my gosh, Hereditary. That movie, oh, so, so good. So, so disturbing. Like, I never walked out of a movie feeling like unclean until I left Hereditary. And I mean that as a compliment. Like it was, it was so effective and so good. But yeah, there, there is this great sense of, and you know, the, the Netflix version of Honey and of Hill House, you know, did this too. Like True. family dynamics in this very heightened, unreal thing and how like, Families unraveling a bit. I really, I really dig it. And I think you did a, a great entry into this subgenre. So, kind of speaking uh, a little bit of a diversion, but, you know, we are in the midst of a pandemic and we're in, you know, a quarantine situation. Has that inspired you at all to write? And what do you think other authors are going to come out of this quarantine pandemic situation writing about? As For me personally, it's been very, very difficult to get into the writing groove. Mm. Um, I'm starting to get into it because, well, I have a deadline and I have to and they're paying me. So <laughs> there's that. But for like a good month or two, it was kind of mental paralysis for a while. Yeah. It was like, what's going on in the world? And I don't know how to process this. And I'm scared to go to the grocery store right now. And, and yet it's so boring at home. So it's it's this weird sense of like, I'm so bored, yet I'm also so incredibly anxious. Mm. And they exist as one. And, and when you're like in that weird stew of emotions, it's hard to focus on a book. Some other authors I know have been writing like gangbusters because it's an escape. Mm. They're like, I tune out the everything, I fall into my book, and it's my escape from life, and I've been writing more than I've ever written before. And so good for them. Yeah. But that as means- far as like, there's going to be, I think, maybe a whole mess of like quarantine fiction in like the next year or so. And I'm kind of dreading it <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. we just lived it. We just lived it and it will pass. 
Like, I hope to God it will pass. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that there is a place for for quarantine fiction or pandemic fiction, but it needs to have resonance beyond current events. Mm, I think you're right, because like I know for us, like as much as I am a, a horror fan speaking for myself, I've been kind of avoiding the those kind of movies and books right now. Yeah, I did not understand this trend of, hey, everyone, let's watch Outbreak and Contagion. <laughs> like, why? For the love of God, why? <laughs> You're living it. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. I was going to say, what um, what other books and TV and movie have you uh, been enjoying since the last we spoke? About a year ago. Yeah. God, it's it's it's, it's like, like clockwork now. It's like first week of like July every year now. It's like... Riley Sager book. And I, do the, I do the rounds and talk to people I haven't talked to in a year. Um, I've been, you know, trying to catch up on some of the horror movies that I missed or some things that just hit the scene. Um, I finally watched Ready or Not. Okay. And I enjoyed that one. I wasn't expecting it to be so jokey. I thought it was going to be more serious than it was. But once I got to its groove, I'm like, okay, I can enjoy this. You're like, okay, I'm speaking your language. <laughs> yeah. Um, I watched The Vast of Night on Amazon Prime. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. It's really good. It's it's not it's 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 not really scary, but it just is this loving homage to like 50s and like flying saucer stuff. It's it's just it's done in such a wonderful way. Ooh, like okay. it's it's so it's such an homage but also it's done in like such a new fresh fascinating way it was it's very enjoyable that is sounds right up my alley i'm excited for that i know one that we're gonna we're both dying to ask you is did you see the lodge i did okay oh no that was such a pause did you like it i did not like it at all (laughs) oh my i feel bad i feel so bad no that's okay because we know people that didn't like it too for us that's been one of um our tops of the year but uh well and that's great that it's derisive for for me it was it was one of those where i loved the concept of it and i loved where i thought it was going and then and this is something that i try to be aware of when i'm writing something is like sometimes it veers off into territory that's just a little bit too like okay this no this can't happen like how this this can't happen and so for me like like as as fantastical as some of my plots are, I try to ground them in some sense of reality. Mm. And so some of the events in the lodge where it just lost me, I was like, I don't know, I don't want to talk spoilers. But there was there was just a couple moments where I'm like, nope. <laughs> you lost me. Yes. So I had I had another question about the book and 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 about the house specifically. It- I feel like I could draw a map of that house and I could like if I had any artistic skill with pencil or pen at all could actually draw exactly what you envisioned and and that's that's how how well you described it. And I have to know, does that house exist or did that just come in your head? It exists in spirit and I keep doing these puns and I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, no, we love no, there, it. You're there not is sorry. A- <laughs> Neither are we. There, um, there was a. I've been to Vermont once, and it was we stayed at a bed and breakfast that was a big old house on top of a hill, and it, it was like it used to be owned, I believe, by RKO, mm-hmm. and so movie stars would stay there, like in the 30s, and so 
that aspect I just sort of completely robbed and put into the history of Bainbury Hall in the book. But like the architecture of the house is completely different. It's It was completely built from scratch based on things that the plot necessarily, you know, I, I needed it just for plot reasons. Yeah. yeah. And, and also just that I thought would be cool, you know, like, and you know, like the windows on the third floor that look like eyes, that was totally my homage to the Amityville horror house. Absolutely. And just other aspects like the kitchen being located where it was like that needed to be there for plot purposes. And so it was, it was a mixture of just, gee, what would be cool in this house? And also what must be in this house for the plot to function. And some of it evolved. Like, it's very funny. Um, I got the prototypes for the cover of the book before I was finished writing the book. Because this is how, like, when you're on a book a year schedule, like, sometimes, like, they're just like, okay, what's it about? Okay, we'll do a cover now. Well, you, you keep on writing. <laughs> right. And And so, like, I got the cover concept, and I loved it. I'm like, oh, wow, this creepy chandelier. There's not one of those in the book. Oh. But I'm going to add it. <laughs> uh, yes, because that chandelier is so important. Yes, it was It was a case of like the cover informing the text of the book instead of the other way around. <laughs> I love That's that. That's cool. That's really cool. And, and more so than the house, I mean... Um, I really love the grounds of the house in this book, too. The woods and some graves. I mean, that's just an, a, a big gate and a winding drive. Yeah, I'll, I'll draw the map of the ground, Scott. You draw the map of the house. And what's, what's funny is um, an author I'm friendly with, J.D. Barker, he, re he read the book and you know was nice enough to give a blurb. But he said, like, after reading the book, it was like, just FYI, like, after we moved into our very old house, we discovered a cemetery on property. Oh, yes, that's the dream. That's the dream. <laughs> and he was like, so you kind of wrote the story of my house, I guess. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, because like, I know that's kind of a thing, especially like in other countries, you know, these big estates and then people are like buried, you know, on the estate. That's that's the horror dream right there that you land one of those on the woods. Well, I guess I guess that's my question is, would you have purchased that home? I don't know. I don't. I mean, the price seemed to be right, really. Um, <laughs> I like what well, when we were house hunting, like we kept having it sort of like this back and forth. I wanted something very old by the water. You know, something that was kind of what I, like a house that I would write about. Yeah. And my. My husband was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we, we sort of settled. Like we, it's, it's this like big suburban house on the end of a cul-de-sac in, you know, New Jersey suburb land. <laughs> but the house inside feels older than it really is because it has this wonderful wood trim everywhere. Mm. And, and so it, it was like the best of both worlds. Like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, you get your suburban house and, you know, the cul-de-sac and the lawn and all that. I get, like, you know, this inside that sort of feels like the house is, like, 80 years older than it really is. Oh, so it's I, a nice compromise. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah, I mean, I agree. B back to the house hunting thing. You know, there'd be times where you're going to go look at something. You're like, okay, this definitely had a satanic sacrifice in the basement. It can't be this cheap. <laughs> Oh, there, we, we, we ran into a house like that where it was so big and, and from the outside at least so pretty and the location was amazing and the price was like insane. Yeah. And I was like, murder house. 
Absolute murder house. Oh my gosh. And then with this one, after everything we've been through with getting it, with painting it, with decorating, it we see now in movies and books when people are like reluctant to move. Because I was basically like, if any sort of evil entity comes into this house, I will drive it out before it drives me out. I'm not going through this again. It's such a pain. Moving, like just my books alone <laughs> was just, it was so hard. And so like to be writing a book, like while this is all going on, I just, I was very stressed sometimes and I would like take my frustrations out on the book because like we had, we had issues with this house. Some we knew about when we bought it, others we did not know about at all. And so it just became like being in this house, dealing with it and then going to the book at night and just being like, I'm going to collapse your kitchen ceiling. I'm going to put snakes in this house, you know, just like really taking it out on the poor people in this book. It's pretty rude, really. (laughs) It really was. Oh, you're not always a benevolent God. I like it. I'm not. I punish them for my house's problem. <laughs> I am going to look at your books in a completely different light now, knowing that you <laughs> you take out your, your aggression and frustration on your characters. Hey, it's better than, you know, on your neighbors or your spouse. Yes, and we have wonderful neighbors. I should add that. Not that I, I don't think they listen to podcasts, but in case they do. But they're listening They're listening through the walls or with one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. Like both their adult daughters are living with them during the, the, the coronavirus. Mm. And one of them is on Instagram a lot and saw Home Before Dark on Instagram for one of the people she follows <laughs> and like wrote, wrote to them being like, he is literally my neighbor. I would be little, bragging little too. Little brush with stardom. Yeah. Yes. We'd be bragging too. We'd be over there all the time bringing you bread, bringing you treats. Hey, hey, what you got to read? You working on anything? <laughs> We'd be living in the walls. <laughs> Full on Bram, Brahms the boy style, living in the walls. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> That's not freaky at all. You can join the bats that are in our attic right now. That's That'll be fun. Oh my goodness. Well, I do love bats. I've got on my sleeve, I've um, my tattoo sleeve. I have quite a few bats featured. I'll go. I'll go get those out for you. They're they're less fun. Well, here in New Jersey, you can't touch them during certain parts of the year. Really? Oh, because they're they're protected. And so we moved in last year. We moved in the first week of May, and within days is when we learned that oh, there are bats in the attic. Right. And so we brought in someone, and they're like, "Yeah, we can't touch those till August." Oh. <laughs> And and so like they did like all the bat like once August get like the first week of August we're like come here now and get rid of the bats, and so like they you know bat proofed it and stuff but not enough because guess what we just discovered a couple weeks ago oh, no they they're were back. they're attracted to you they're like Riley's a spooky person we'll just move in they're like summer so, homing with you yes they are so now we have to wait until August again. To get them back and be like, okay, now let's really bat-proof the place now. (laughs) They're the house guests that wouldn't leave. They really are. Oh my gosh. That's your next next story. (laughs) The bats in the attic? (laughs) The bats in the attic. And or house guests that don't leave and they're, I don't know, murderous or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Riley, for hanging out with us again today. It is such a blast to not only talk to you, but to read your books. Your books are just an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, no. Thank you so much. Well, wasn't that a lot of fun, everybody? (laughs) 
Thank you, Riley. And you are officially in the spoiler section. I I, I just have to say, I, 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 think, I think you all can imagine how excited we were that we got to talk to Riley again. Uh, he's not just an, a super exciting author. He's a super exciting, fun guy. And, um, you know, we have a lot of fun chatting with him, uh, you know, especially being the horror Disney nerd that he is. Oh, my gosh. We're thankful. And we've just absolutely fallen in love with every guest, every author we've ever had on our show. But it's super cool. Some of these authors like Riley, where we have a really good rapport with them, because we have like a lot in common. Um, And so it feels like, you know, we're friends because we we go back and we talk again after we've already kind of talked before. It's like having like, you know, your internet bestie. I don't know. It's 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 so rad. I'll just say if you like to like your authors as people, Riley Sager's a pretty cool guy to stand. <laughs> we definitely try to steer away from problematic authors <laughs> here on Genre Junkies. Um, okay, so let's talk. Let's talk about it. So you start to realize in the book and from the description that this might not be paranormal and you would be correct though you know it is not paranormal however there may be something paranormal going on did you know that this was going to end up not being supernatural when you started reading it writing it writing it (laughs) (laughs) yes i i I just don't think I'm because I do think of myself as a thriller author and not quite a horror author, although there are elements of both. Yeah. I wasn't sure I wanted to go full on ghost. Like I considered it. I really did. I'm like, should, is it time? Should I just go ghost on everyone? <laughs> but I just I thought that, you know, based on my previous books and what readers are expecting, that it would be OK to you know not go there, but still leave a little bit of taste of, you know, like, you know, Buster the Bear is not answered, like how he's moving about. And so I do like to leave it open a little bit that Mm -hmm. maybe that house is haunted. So I wanted to have it both ways. Like I wanted there to be like an earthly explanation for everything in her father's book and what she's experiencing. It also leave it open for those who want to think that, hey, Maybe there are ghosts in this house. Right. And oftentimes those hauntings, they are something more subtle like that. Instead of, you know, the, you know, wrath of hell coming down, it's a little, it is a little more subtly creepy. Right. More and- more subtle than like the demon pigs and like Amityville <laughs> Horror. No, I totally agree. And I love that he did that. I love that he just threw in these like little Easter eggs because for me and my experience with ghosts, um, and my experience is unique, but it's usually more subtle like that, right? Like it's a little more subtle than the stuff, the the big, you know, hellfire, wrathy stuff that goes on. So well, as, as you're reading about other people's experiences and especially talk, hearing you talk about people who have moved into houses that have had horrible histories in the past, mm-hmm. when they say, well, yeah, I mean, I, there was some, some kind of, you Activity. know, creepy things. Yeah. But it wasn't like, you know, it, it wasn't code red, 
you know, turned up to 11, you know, things are being thrown across the room. There's just some kind of like things being moved every once in a while. Yeah, there's a whole gamut of paranormal experiences that people can go through. So I love that he left that kind of in there for us. Uh, Just a little bit of unanswered stuff. And, um, you know, of course, we could have talked to him for 12 hours and it would have been wonderful. But uh, we actually do let people go live their lives afterward. (laughs) After we drain them for a little bit, like the psychic vampires we are. But um, I I love his names. Well, kind of Maggie's names for the entities, Mr. Shadow and Miss Pennyface especially is a good one because not only did that end up really fitting with who the true Miss Pennyface was, but it gives me that vibe of, you know, in some cultures when people pass and you put coins on their eyes. I know that like um, mm-hmm. you, you do that in Greece for the river Styx and that is totally what I pictured and I'm obsessed with it. I feel like that name, Miss Pennyface specifically, was very much for people who know horror and love horror. Because as soon as that name was used, I could absolutely picture her. You just like you said with with you know coins in the eyes for for you know during death rituals. We know that. Let's be honest, because of horror. <laughs> and well, I also just like morbid history, well, but yeah, course. horror. Yeah, but that's that's where we're introduced to it. That's where we have the real visual imagery of yeah. that, and and that just immediately had a, had a, had a gut reaction from me. Oh, totally. Um, I was like, I guess my main theory that I was kind of perpetuating for a large chunk of the book was actually that her dad was a child abuser and got Petra. And I didn't want that to be true. I was like, this can't be true. This can't be it. I I did not have that fear. That possibly is because I had not watched a particular movie that we watched together recently um, before oh, I read true. the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might have been a, a, a dark timeline sort of uh, situation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I would have been very satisfied with that. That that oh that always takes things to like an in- incredibly dark place. Well, yeah. And this book has has you know dark themes and scary thoughts, but that would have just made me so sad. I I just I knew when I decided okay it's not going to be ghost. What possible earthly reason could they have for leaving in the middle of the night, never returning? So she thought. And telling everyone that the house was haunted. Like, what the heck could have happened there that would make them do this and not be so utterly outlandish? And so that's when I, you know, I went through different scenarios and, you know, just the one of like, she killed a neighbor. Like, that was like the thing that like stuck with me the most. Like, okay, they think their daughter killed the neighbor and they just are worried about what because the whole thing is like they were they did this because they worried about how this would affect how she perceived herself and how others perceived herself for the rest of her life and ironically they did it anyway just in a different way mm-hmm. yeah so so instead of seeing her you know people seeing her as like a killer they see her as like this creepy girl who speaks to ghosts and so they ended up sort of putting this narrative on her life anyway when they were trying to avoid a different narrative for Maggie yeah, I guess I guess that that is where my question is, is do you feel that them protecting Maggie was selfish or selfless? I think they wanted to think it was selfless, but there was a lot of selfishness involved in there. 
Okay. And when it ended up um, eroding the family unit, this, you know, kind of secret toxic thing between them. Yeah, it's it's really like, you know, people are like, oh, this is such a fun read. And it is. It's a fun, spooky read. Yeah, yeah. But then afterwards, it's like, and I, I, I realized this when I finished it. I'm like, wow, this is dark. <laughs> like, this is like this, you know, this destroyed her family. And at the same time, you know, this innocent teenager is dead. Right. And yeah. it doesn't get, you know, like what her parents did was really pretty horrible. <laughs> right. And so I felt really sad for, for Petra and for her family. And right. so it, it, it really was kind of like, wow, this is darker than I intended. Jeez. I mean, I knew that it wasn't Maggie. I knew that it wasn't Maggie. Right. Didn't you? I was like, can't be. Can't be Maggie. She's kind of the red herring. Or did you think it was Maggie? Well, I definitely thought it was Maggie, but that was all, you know, two, three chapters that that really came up. <laughs> um, I, I thought that this one was going to turn out that the house was haunted. I really did. Mm. I was expecting an anti-Riley twist <laughs> on this book. I, it was like Riley has out Riley'd himself, and it is just that there's the ghosts. Which would have been totally fine with me, too. I, and I'm totally happy with the way that it turned out. Oh, yeah. I thought the the, the combination red herring of Dane mm. and then Maggie mm-hmm. worked really well to, to just kind of keep you spinning and reeling and trying to figure out what's going on. I'm happy that even though I was not happy with her parents and her parents were very problematic parents in general, um, I was happy that what they were doing, at least in some respect, could be construed as being the best for her. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think Riley really hit it on the head when he was trying to come up with what would make somebody do this really extreme thing, leaving in the middle of the night, refusing to talk to her about what happened, being so cagey about the details, and, you know, just doing this really, really extreme thing. Um, And it's like, yeah, that's it would have to be murder and it would have to be that they thought their daughter was guilty because, you know, at five, she didn't have the words to articulate what she was seeing and what was happening and couldn't differentiate with her, you know, invisible friends type of thing. So that was a really, really smart corner to paint these characters into. Can we talk about the way that he... Yeah, he slow build the he, he he did a slow build on the first half of the book. This mm-hmm. book it, it it is really he did, like the the real meat of it mm-hmm. doesn't start until pretty much the fifty percent point, and it really reminded me of Knives Out. Oh yeah, where okay. Basically, the first half was almost like the trailer. It was almost like all of the information that's, you know, swirling around the internet when it comes to movies before they come out. Uh, A little bit of Blair Witch with all the stuff, the marketing that they did, where, you know, you're expecting this to be just like a complete, you know, mystery about the haunting and and just about, about ghosts. And then all of a sudden, a body falls from the roof. Oh, my God. I thought that that Riley, that his um, publishers, that everything did a really good job of burying that. Yes. Pun, pun not intended. <laughs> uh, because I loved the book before that. But then it just, it was like, oh, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This is even better. Yeah, I like that. And I definitely get some Knives Out vibes. I'm with you as far as that's concerned. 
I had discussions with my, my, my editor about that. She, you know, originally they included like, oh, and when she finds a body and, you know, the floor of the house, I'm like, no, no, don't mention that in the jacket copy. Like that's, you know, the first sort of trap that I spring on people. Right. Yeah. yeah you got to be careful what breadcrumbs yeah. you leave. I was like, I want that one to be a surprise because then after that, it's like all bets are off. When a skeleton falls from the ceiling, after that, anything can happen. That's right. Yep. <laughs> now that should be a blurb on the book. It was a spoiler, <laughs> yeah. but still. <laughs> There's also some wonderful kind of gothic literature, um, almost kind of archetypes, too, that I really appreciated in here. We had, you know, kind of this handsome, mysterious stranger in the groundskeeper, whereas, you know, it, sometimes that's more of like just a spooky groundskeeper. But I kind of like how he kind of blended that, you know, kind of handsome figure in there with like a kind of, you know, what's going on with his past vibe. Um, I liked the Dittmers. I liked the, the two surviving ones. <laughs> the uh, the mom who, you know, of course, is uh, has dementia, and she's kind of a spooky Mrs. Havisham character. And then we have, you know, the daughter who's not fully trustworthy, a lot of mystery swirling around her. And then, of course, our, our heroine, who is conflicted and trying to unravel this whole thing um just really cool gothic horror mystery vibes but really brought into a present day scenario we love that your books are such a blend of genres and that's a treat for your um your new readers and your readers who've been with you i just i try to you know I, I love horror movies and I love horror tropes. And so it's it's really fun to sort of mix them all together. And I think there are lots of fans out there who would agree. Like, you know, you can, like I said, you can love Scream and Frozen. So there's there's a lot of us out there who don't just focus on one thing. So if you can blend things a little bit, I think that's just a, a treat. And and by the way, we haven't talked about her yet, but um, I thought Maggie was a very capable heroine and a very interesting person. I really liked. I, I agree. <laughs> um, I thought it was. I thought her job was interesting, but like believable that that's you know like something you know somebody could do and then she kind of finds herself in this place where she's got to know what happened it's like you just know this character it's like she can't go to her grave not knowing what the hell actually happened in her life i appreciate how stubborn she is yes and i would be the same way if i was raised that that my whole life is this is not something we talk about this is not something you're ever going to learn the truth about and then you finally get the chance it's like all right i am not leaving here until i know exactly what's going on uh, for you know sometimes not even necessarily the best choice but it turns out that it was for her then of course we have the real killer herself bakery owner by day <laughs> <laughs> tragic backstoried woman um mm, yeah w did not see that coming that was nice that was that was a twist that i absolutely didn't see coming and yet totally made sense and, you know, kind of a accidental murder, um, you know, as she says, but she's not <laughs> a well person. Uh, yeah, that was a really, really nice tie-in and an interesting 
I don't know, an interesting departure because I do like it when the woman is the murderer, is the perpetrator. You don't get to see that enough. And, um, you know, like you don't think that this person would be capable of what they did. But she was. But she was. <laughs> All right. Well, there we kind of have it. I think we've got to give this book a score. All right. I'd like to go first. I am going to give this book four chandeliers out of five. Ooh, chandeliers. I really liked this book. Uh, I couldn't put it down. It was something that I I could not read fast enough. Um, it, it's something that... It, I kind of have even reread a little bit since we since we read it the first time, which is a really good thing. Uh, I, I I like it a lot. I think a lot of people are really going to like it too. Um, I totally get that. Even though his books have sort of twistiness to them, I do find Riley's uh, work to be very rereadable. And um, I don't know, it's just good for breaking you out of slumps and hangovers and different things too. I love your chandeliers. That's fantastic because I. I I just I adore chandeliers. But for mine, I'm actually going to give it four and a half silver engraved letter openers that are quite sharp <laughs> out of five. Uh, very sharp, just like this book. A sharp, fun, exhilarating read. All right, everybody, there you have it. I guess um, I should go back to boiling in my own skin. How's that for a horror novel? I've been Sandra. And I have been Scott. Thank you, Riley. And please keep reading past your bedtime.